So the second half of this letter uh, by Paul, whoo, something else, huh? Uh, intense. We have found out last week that Paul's getting personal. <laughs> he's digging deep. Uh, he's going after us, uh, and we probably need to have someone go after us sometimes. He's laying out boundaries to help us walk in a manner worthy of the call to which we've been called. And this is uh, the crux of this whole letter, that we have been called in Christ, and it is a, an amazing call. And then we have a responsibility to walk that out and walk in such a way that it is worthy, in balance, axios, in keeping with the weightiness and the responsibility and the beauty and majesty and magnificence of his call. Oh, I want to walk that way. It reminds me of Psalm uh, 16, 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Boundary lines are good. <laughs> they, they are a delightful inheritance, is what the psalmist said. They're good for us. Boundaries are good for your, your kids, aren't they? They, they excel when they're within the boundary, when they get outside the parameters of, of, your, of your discipline and your, and your protection, they can be harmed, severely harmed. It's dangerous out there. It's dangerous out there for us. It's like I told you last week that it's, it's really good to be one of my grandkids. Really, really awesome. And because at Honey's house, there's all sorts of blessing and perk and perks and privilege and, and freedom. There's so much at Honey and Papa's, Papa gets to live there too. It's, it's a great place if you're a grandkid uh, to Honey and Papa. Of course, we do have boundaries. We've set boundaries for them. But within them, liberty abounds. It is so much greater than the restriction. It is so freeing. And it's the same way for God's beloved children. So with that in mind, let's look and continue looking at what Paul has to say in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul lays out three guiding lights for us, wisdom, discerning or understanding the Lord's will, and being filled with with the Spirit. And I love the way that he spells it out here. He, is, he contrasts each of the three with the opposite of those things, the things we shouldn't engage in. He says, first of all, be, be very careful. Be, be careful. Be careful how you walk. It's important. The liberty is great, but you don't want to get outside of those parameters. Don't step over there because you'll be harmed when you do. So be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as foolish, but as understanding what the Lord's will is. Not drunken with wine, 
but being filled with the Spirit. These are three guideposts, guide lights, guiding lights that help us in this journey of this expansive life that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, the first is don't be unwise, uh, but be wise. And we all know, or we should know, that there's a really big difference between knowledge, the knowledgeable, and having wisdom, right? We know that. Anybody here? Yeah, I mean, there are some really smart people that I know that are not very wise. Many of the ones that are leading our country right now would fall into that suit. Many of the ones that did lead our country would also follow in that suit. I didn't hear as many amens on that one. It's true. Oh, it's true. Just because their policy may agree with you doesn't mean that they are walking in wisdom. There's a whole lot of unwise people who think they're very smart. When, when God said to King David's son, Solomon, who was going to succeed David uh, to the throne, when he said to him, uh, Solomon, and he came to him in a dream and he said, ask of me anything you desire. Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that kind of conversation with God? Ask of me anything you desire. And you know what Solomon did? He humbly asked for wisdom. And it really pleased God. And so much it pleased him that he said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else too. All the riches and wealth and honor. But how does that fall for us? Where do we fall in all of this? We're not succeeding to the Jewish throne, any of us here. So do we get to have wisdom? Is wisdom from above, is wisdom of God, is it available to us? Well, yes, yes, it sure is. I'm glad you asked. It is available to each of you. Wisdom for you, never mind, I feel like Oprah. James, uh, the writer of, of the book of James, uh, he said in his epistle, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, any, any and all who lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously with all, to all, without approach, and it will be given him. Any. So if you lack wisdom today, all you have to do is ask. Now with that asking comes real submission to him. But asking really puts us on good footing. So when Solomon said, what I desire is wisdom above all, that's a really good prayer to pray. I love the way uh, the Apostle Paul himself said uh, to the church in Colossae, he, he talked about a group of people in Laodicea that he himself did not personally know, but had great fondness for. He was advocating for them, actually. He, he wanted, had a strong affinity. And he, this is what he said of these people in Laodicea. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I wish Paul would pray for me like that. I, I think he did. I think he's praying for us the same way that he prayed for those in Laodicea. So yeah, wisdom is available. Don't be unwise. Don't fall for that. Ask of the Lord. It's like what Nate said earlier in the video where he made a decision without asking. 
And then later that night, the Lord kind of challenged him. And he's like, wait a minute, we didn't even stop and pray about that. And so they did. And, and the Lord redirected them. That's what it means to walk wisely, not unwisely. Next, Paul says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, a lot of us, <laughs> a lot of us feel that discerning the will of God is, um, it's like solving a mystery or, or winning the lottery, <laughs> We feel like, okay, there's a dartboard and maybe we'll just take the dart and maybe we'll hit it and maybe we won't. It, it feels like, it feels like a, a chance that we, could not, that we could miss out. And it's just happenstance that we might get in. And while understanding God's will does include discovering the steps we should take. It's very much that way. It, it includes specific direction and paths that we are to take. Uh, there is much of God's will that's already been spelled out for us. It's already been laid out for us. We don't have to really do much to discern it. While understanding God's will can be challenging, there are pieces that, are, that never are. For example, like in in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says to them, for this is the will of God. Ding, 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 ding. We have an answer. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Oh, and mine too. Your sanctification and that you abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God right there. And then he says later in chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus, or will of God in Christ Jesus for all of you. Now, some of us are having a hard time with decisions we're facing, trying to figure out, is this the will of God? Is that the will of God? Which door am I supposed to go into? I don't want to miss it, blah, 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 blah. You're hoping to find the will of the Lord. When what we need to be doing is focusing on what we already know the will of the Lord to be. That if we would submit ourselves to him and to his sanctification, if we would give thanks in everything, if we would abstain from those things that are outside the boundary lines he has drawn for us, if we would do those things which are all the will of God, then maybe we'd find it easier to figure out the specific thing we're praying about. Nobody said amen. I think it's a real secret here, guys. I think a lot of times you're being resisted in knowing the will of God because the very obvious things that are the will of God you've not addressed. You've not given yourself to. And we have to be careful that we're not that we're outside of this thinking, well, I can be subjective and I don't have to worry about being sanctified. I don't have to worry about him kind of dealing with my anger or with my temper or with my immorality or with my porn watching or whatever. We just like, oh, but what is the will of God whether I should take this job or not? Well, deal with the real will of God that he's revealed to you and then he'll show you what the other thing needs to be. All right, there's more amens there. Praise God, we're on the same page. Remember that God's will is not just finding and fitting together your life puzzle, all the pieces of your life puzzle. Finding the will of God is actually relating to him in the process. 
That's the will of God. He's not just about giving you the answer. He's about giving you himself. Finally, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, as, as Peter has already mentioned to us, this is an important day. This is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, though we do recognize many aspects of the liturgical calendar, and there have been moments where we have made more emphasis on it, I was really grateful for Pete's leading, to us, leading of us in that moment. And when I think about this particular verse, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, it makes me think of that day, right? Can you not think of it? Come on. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of Pentecost, which is so appropriate. And, and it's the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon 120 disciples in an upper room gathered together. And as Pete read for us earlier, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all say word all they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance this caused such a stir in Jerusalem. All the ruckus that was being made down the street. And there were lots of pilgrims in town from all over the world because they, they were coming to the festival that was there in Jerusalem that weekend. And as they were there, they heard this commotion and this mighty rushing wind and they all swarmed to what was going on. And then they heard all of these men and women praising God in different languages, languages that maybe was from their own country, their own tribe, their own uh, language was being spoken. And they're like, what's going on? These are, these are just silly country folk. They don't know all that language. They're from Galilee. What's happened? They must be drunk. But it was 9 a.m. in the morning. Now, I've seen drunk people in the morning at 9 a.m. You're like, where do you hang out? Um, I'm not going to go there, but I've seen them before. But probably in that day, you didn't see too many drunks stumbling around town at 9 a.m. They were passed out somewhere, if anything. They were filled not with wine, but with the Spirit. Worshiping God uninhibited by the fear that had had them just a few hours before. No longer were they fearful. They were unleashed into the world with unlimited joy. And thank God they were. Because you and I now have the gospel and get to walk in the same revelation they had. When Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, he's using a word that means to be dominated by, to be saturated or soaked, which I think is a pretty fair description of being drunk with wine. But to be filled with the Spirit is to be not dominated by something, but to be controlled by the Spirit. And it is so much different than alcohol or any other foreign substance that people put into their body to numb themselves. When you're controlled by the Spirit, it's not for your worse situation, it's for your better and Paul says being drunk with wine leads to debauchery. Now, there's a word we don't use every day. 
I don't know, maybe when you're looking at your kids, you're thinking that, but hopefully not. I didn't use it this week. But the word debauchery means dissipation or spilled out, wasted, poured out and and gone. It's the same word that Jesus used in describing the prodigal son who went out from his father and spent every cent that he had that was a great inheritance. And he lived a reckless life, debauchery, spilled out, wasted, squandered. There's another piece about this background, about the background of this story that's important for us to understand what Paul is saying to this group in Ephesus. Because included in the Ephesian culture was the cult of Dionysus, which was the god of wine, also called Bacchus. This cult was notorious for its ecstatic worship, which included wine and music and dance. And it was a very, well, you can just imagine. And it wasn't just self-indulgence on their part, though it was indulgent. It was actually a counterfeit spirituality. Because you see, in their frenzy with the wine and the drink and everything else, the more intoxicated you get as a cult member, the more you saw yourself as being filled with the spirit of Dionysus. And so Paul is countering this false practice that has been current in that city, that some of these believers, new disciples in Christ, may have even engaged in. And he's saying, don't be getting drunk with wine, thinking you're going to have a divinity put in you because of that. No, be filled with the Spirit. That's the true faith. That's the true Spirit. That's the true worship. Now, here's the thing. If you take the Bible, you're not going to find a absolute full-out prohibition against alcohol. You're not going to find it in there. In fact, in many places, you're going to find the exact opposite. Jesus turned water into wine, and it wasn't grape juice. You could get drunk on it. In fact, it was said to be the better wine than what they first served, all right? Jesus, there's going to be a marriage feast of the lamb. There's there's going to be wine there. And, And so there are a lot of opposite situations in which when it's appropriate and when it's right, that there is no prohibition against drinking alcohol. But, and you know this is coming, a big but. (laughs) I wasn't sure I should say that, but I did. It's a big but. (laughs) Is that. There are tremendous abuse. There's abuse going on with alcohol. It's going on in this day. It goes on in our day. And you know that way too many people drink for all the wrong reasons. And that's in the church too. People drink to forget their problems. They drink to numb their pain. They drink to cope with their disappointment. And you may need to evaluate yourself. If you find liberty in your walk with the Lord that you do not feel that it's a disservice to you in your walk with him, you may need to evaluate as to how it's going for you. 
Now, there are some, even in our midst, that do not need to touch wine or drink of any sort. And we need to also be sensitive to those that that, that is a real cliff for them. One sip and it's off the cliff. And so our grace and our mercy and our compassion for each other means that we, if we feel stronger in our faith and don't feel a limitation on our having a glass of wine uh, with dinner or having a beer at some point, if that's the case where we are, we need to be very careful when there's someone in our midst that they can't do that. Paul spoke to that about eating sacrificed meat to the Corinthians. And so it's very similar to that where we are. But let me say to you, some of us here, and some of us listening, it's good sometimes to just lay it all down. I know people, and I experience this myself, where there are just times I'm like, nope, six months, 12 months, none. And I, that's showing me and showing the Lord that he's more important to me than any type of thing I put into my mouth. And so if you are being controlled by this and it's affecting you and you're drinking because you need it, there's a problem. Get some help. Come see a pastor. Come see your small group leader. Go to an AA meeting. Do something. Don't let this ruin your life because it ruins a lot of people's lives. Now, let me just say to you, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I don't even drink, so I'm good. But that doesn't mean you're, <laughs> that doesn't mean you're out of the woods. Your coping mechanism may not be alcohol, but it could be some other different idol. It could be something that you spill yourself out for that dominates your life that is your self-medication that numbs you from reality there's any number of things that can be controlling dominating you it can be any indulgence just an evasion just a, a hiding an escape it's not being filled with the Spirit. It's being drunk with something else. Any old counterfeit will do to numb our heart from reality. But it leads us being void of the Spirit of God and full of the Spirit of this age. And we should be careful when we pursue comfort and our own security and our own ease of life over obedience to the Lord and life in His Spirit. God doesn't want us to be dominated. <laughs> he wants us to empty our lives that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what we're made for. Especially when everything else will fade. And it's all fleeting. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit abides. What I find fascinating about these verses is that Paul's words to the Ephesians, it's a correlation to the instructions that God gave to Moses about building the tabernacle in Exodus. You remember the story, they've come out of Egypt, they are now, they've, they've received the law, they are now migrating through this wilderness and God gives instructions for how they are to build a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. It is where the presence of God is going to rest and dwell with God's people. It's incredible. And it parallels what Paul has been saying to the church in Ephesus. But it also, all of that parallels 
with what Jesus is doing in building his church, where we as living stones are being built into it as a dwelling place for God. So everything in the old is pointing to what is revealed and fulfilled in the new. And so when even we talk about the Old Testament, it's just pointing to what Jesus is doing as building a spiritual family, a spiritual dwelling place for God. Exodus 31.1 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have, and here it is, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for works in gold, silver, and bronze. And to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. I have filled him with the Spirit of God and with wisdom and with understanding. Sound familiar? It's exactly what Paul has been giving us as these guiding lights. Wisdom, understanding, understanding what the will of the Lord is, and being filled with the Spirit. And what exactly did this individual named Bezalel do with all of these great things bestowed upon him, the Spirit of God, wisdom, and understanding? Well, he became useful. He became a craftsman with all sorts of skill. He was bringing potential out of raw materials and making things beautiful and awesome for God in his dwelling place. What a picture. But it also points to what is happening today in that which Jesus is building. He's building a place for God to dwell and it's an incredible parallel with that which happened in the Old Testament that we, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, with wisdom and discerning what the will of the Lord is, that we might be useful, that we might be skilled, that we might bring out the potential of the living stones that are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I love that. Your being filled with the Spirit is not for your own goosebumps and good feels. Your being filled with the Spirit is for the building up of His people, the dwelling place of God. So, for the person who thinks, it's just me and Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit, I got the good feelings. That's not what God is interested in. You might as well go and do the whole cult of Dionysus because it's about as good there. What he's looking for you is to be filled with the spirit and with wisdom and with knowing and understanding the will of God so that you might build up, build up the church, your brother and sister sitting next to you, the people sitting in this room, the larger body of Christ. We have a job to do with the spirit of God inside of us. How does Paul finish it? Well, he gives us four results. He gives us four things that indicate to us that we are filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Verse 19 in Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says that if we're wise and understanding what the will of the Lord is and if we're filled with the Spirit, we're gonna result, it's gonna result with us building each other up, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I used to have a teaching that how these were different parts of worship. And I'm not gonna get trapped into that right now. What I do know is that when someone speaks to me out of a psalm, my faith is built. Brother John used to pray the psalms all the time. He would speak the psalms to me. And I go to the psalms because it speaks to my heart. We ought to be speaking the psalms more than we're speaking Fox News or CNN. We ought to be speaking hymns to one another. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think. That's what we ought to be speaking to each other. We ought to be singing spiritual songs to build one another up. Not tearing each other down and dividing over little small silly things. So he says... We are going to be the dwelling place of God and we have a responsibility to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, not just to the Lord, but to one another. Secondly, he says we're to sing and make melody. That's not Melody Curry. Sing, make melody to the Lord with our heart. Now notice he didn't say with our voice. And I know many of you are thinking, thank you, Lord. Because I've heard how he or she sing. No, I've heard how I sing. He didn't say sing with your voice. He said sing with your heart. So that means every one of us here has a responsibility to make melody to the Lord and sing before him. Make a joyful noise if that's all you can do. Thirdly, he says, when you're filled with the Spirit, you will give thanks always and in everything. Wow. I think that one of the biggest indicators of spirit life is gratitude. And so if you find yourself not being very grateful, maybe there's a depletion of spirit life going on in your heart. Maybe you need to seek him about being filled more fully with the spirit and find gratitude start rising up out of you. Finally, he says, being filled with the spirit will motivate you to be submitted one to another where we're preferring one another, where we're not only strengthening and building each other up and singing in these spiritual songs and psalms and hymns to each other, but where we're making melody to the Lord and we are submitted to him. It is something different than what the world sees. It is someplace where the presence and spirit of God dwells. Paul gives us guiding lights for how we're to surf this life of freedom how we're to make Christ central to our lives, how we're to be filled with all the fullness of God that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. He says it's so rich. Yes, there's boundaries, there are parameters, there are guidelines, there's a framework in which you have to live, but there's even greater liberty. Stay inside the lines and you'll see the power of God revealed. And in that wide open space of his glory and grace, We'll do well to ask for wisdom. We'll do well to understand what the will of the Lord is. And we'll do well not to inoculate ourselves or be dominated by anything else but the Spirit 
of God.